Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 45. This week, we talk with Lindsay Garrity about how to get your dream job, a first look at the universal app platform, being open by default, and why code snobs are actually invaluable. Hey, Carl, where were you at recently? Last weekend, I attended a, a great local event called Tech on Tap. Um, mm. It was put on by a bunch of people, including a former guest, Jess Borland, also uh, Derek Shawland, John Swayak, and a guy named Mark. I can't remember his last name, but a bunch right. of really great people. Um, as you can tell by the name, Tech on Tap involved beer. So there was a nice open bar the entire time and uh, just a, a really great, you know, local way to brush up on technology and get a lot of really good networking. in. I met a lot of great people and few, including a few people who listen to the show. So it was nice meeting you if I saw you there. Cool. Yeah. Jess was a great guest on the show. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. I, I wanted to go, but I had to go. Um, I had a previous commitment. It was camp. I was camping with my boys. So it was indoor camping. If you're wondering, <laughs> since it was, you know, like minus 30 degrees out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this week we have uh, Lindsay Garrity. She's a recruiter for Skyline Technologies. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. How's it going? Happy to be here. Cool. So this is a follow-up from our last episode where we had John Sanmez on, and he did a great job. And uh, he had a, a whole bunch of topics that we talked about, and uh, specifically some of the some of the things that we we you know talked about briefly were um, about getting a job and, and resume building and things like that. So Carl said, hey, I know the perfect person to talk to, to, you know, dive into this topic a little bit more. So this will be kind of finishing off that whole topic. Um, so it's great that you could come on here and talk about that. Thanks for inviting me. Yep. So Carl, this week we have pages and pages and pages of feedback. It's funny. We've, we've had episodes with no feedback and now we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, I don't know, an uncountable amount of feedback. So we'll just go through some of the high level ones here. So this first one was a comment on our episode. Uh, what did you want to talk about here, Carl, with this feedback? Um, this one was from Tom V. You know, he, he said he just got listening yep. to uh, uh, the episode with Scott Hanselman. And he says, it, you know, it's it's hard not being a .NET developer and also not to get pumped up and inspired after, after listening to Scott Hanselman. Right. Um, he also talked about being kind to fellow technical people and people who aren't as technically savvy as we are. Uh, he said that really, you know, struck a chord with him. Yeah. And, you know, I just... I just thought that was a really great comment. Um, you know, I, and I agree, you know, Scott Hanselman really knows how to inspire people. Yep. And that was a great episode. Uh, so let's see this next Twitter status. I love this one because we, we got this going back and forth <laughs> with this, uh, Aaron Morell. So I'm just going to read his comment and I think you'll, or his, tw- his, uh, tweet and you'll get the gist of this. So he said, laughing at the MS dev show for mentioning that I mentioned their mention of my mention, and I should mention them again for a mention. <laughs> So Aaron, we are mentioning you on the show. <laughs> and then he followed that up with, but seriously, MS Dev Show is a great podcast for all things Microsoft and tech in general. Go check it out. And we thank you for that tweet. You know, I mean, it means a lot for us to get the word out and it really does help us when uh, you guys mention us on Twitter. Yep. And he's, uh, he seems to be a big fan. And we got Sean Snyder here. Uh, just heard your last few shows. Good stuff. Uh, I'll remember to blame Scott Hanselman for everything wrong with the world. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see here. What else do we got? What's um, the next one here. Um, there was, uh, I had a con- Twitter conversation with, uh, Phil Campbell on, Oh yeah. and, uh, I'm not going to go with his Twitter name, but, uh, he challenged me to change, uh, the Twitter, uh, icon that we had to the new logo that we just released. Mm-hmm. And if he did, then he would buy our sticker from sticker mule. 
And so I changed it. And then he realized since he lives not in the U.S., but in Canada, that they're in Canada, they don't have a free shipping option. It's six dollars minimum. So right. he was a little bit bummed by that. So um, if you go to stickermule.com slash marketplace slash 4324-ms-dev-show-pixelated, you can buy our stickers. And uh, if you're overseas, just be careful about that shipping. Uh, that's yeah. nothing we can do. We don't control it. Um, that's just where we get our stickers from. And if you meet one, either myself or Jason in person, we always have stickers on us. Yep. Just ask. Yep. We'll just give you one for free. So uh, instead of paying the $9.50 to get one shipped to Canada, all you have to do is get in your car, uh, drive a couple hundred miles, maybe a couple thousand miles and get one for free. <laughs> so yeah, again, we, we appreciate all the feedback. Uh, be sure to, um, uh, you know, put out a tweet on Twitter that really helps us out. Uh, leave a comment on Facebook, uh, put a review in iTunes. If you mention something in there or, you know, even just leave a review, that would be awesome. Uh, or on Stitcher, but we especially love those iTunes reviews because that really helps spread the word about the show. So we appreciate everybody who commented in the past few weeks. Thank you. Let's jump into the news. Why code snobs are invaluable. What's this about Carl? Um, somebody relates just a, it's a very short story, but that, you know, he was at work and he was doing a check-in and they have, you know, some sort of gated check-in where they need to have a code review. And somebody was, you know, just mentioned that he should have done it a different way. And it was, his code was functionally correct and there was nothing wrong with it, but it would have fit standards better. People would be able to be easier to understand it. And at first he was just going to check it in anyways, but then he kind of thought, you know, it seemed like this guy was being a code snob, but you know, to somebody who's might be a lazy programmer, you know, this a code snob is really just a way to say, hey, this is a more disciplined person than me. Um, and by incorporating his change, he kept that code base the same. It's consistent. And now other people will be able to, you know, understand it more easily. Yeah, I would say whichever whichever side of the spectrum you fall on here, take a look at the other side and see what the advantages are. That's really the lesson. But actually more interestingly, so <laughs> I'm going to go on a tangent here. I just noticed on this post, did you see this in the header? It says read time two minutes and not even. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So I, I, I just noticed that if you look at any of the blog posts on, on his site, it actually has a read time calculation. I wonder if that goes off the word count or something. I just oh. thought that was really cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Cause you look at it and you're like, oh, this only takes two minutes to read. But yeah, I don't even think this one takes two minutes, but no, that's, that was, uh, that was pretty cool advice. Uh, let's see. Open source by default. Uh, you had tweeted about this one, and I really, really like this one. I've actually sent this to a few people. Well, and, and, and this is something that we have already kind of embraced. Right, right. And really what the, the core of this is, is he, going forward, he this person committed that unless something really needs to be private, it's just going to be open source by default. He's going to put it out there. It's going to be on GitHub. It's going to be open. Yeah. Um, he has a quote, quote that starts it out that says, I have yet to see a company run away with someone else's open source project and build a better business. And usually the one who open sources the technology is the expert in that area. So it's hard to ex out execute them anyways. Yeah, totally. That is that is completely true. And I, I think that's so well said. So that quote alone, that's why I've been sending this around is just for just for that quote there. And there's there's probably some anti example. But, um, yeah. but no, I think that, I just think that's really powerful. Well, and I know one of the reasons why me and you personally like it is we we're pretty lazy ourselves. I would say, at least mm -hmm. in the regard of if somebody else has done it, we don't want to. Yeah, exactly. So, so if we can be that somebody else has done it for another person, that way somebody else doesn't have to recreate what we've done privately. Yeah. Imagine if, if all the code that anybody had ever written was out there and well-organized, I mean, cause you, you got to figure less than 
one percent of all the code written is is you know freely available out there. I mean, it's got to be such a minuscule percentage. And and look at sites like Stack Overflow and and spreading just those code samples and um, you know just all the different resources out there. So get your code out there. Come on, people. Okay, Mobile World Con- Mobile World Congress. What were the announcements out of that? So the first big one was uh, Microsoft announced their first look at the Windows 10 Universal App Platform. Um, there's some things that a lot of people have heard as rumors or have been out there, but Microsoft really made official. Um, so in Windows 10, universal apps will be responsive or adaptive. And we're not just talking about pages. Uh, we're talking about even the controls. If you write a control and you put it in a universal app and you run it in a tablet, it could have you know a very horizontal c- configuration because you have room for that. Whereas if you put it on a phone, the control itself, sensing that it it's, uh, needs to adapt, might shrink up in order to or or change slightly in order to make up for that. So right. uh, all of the default controls and pages will be have that responsive or adaptiveness built in. And there's also mechanisms in there for you to make sure that your user controls have that as well. Um, in addition to that, um, they reinforce that there will be a single project, a single binary for a single store, and even a single in-app purchase. So really what that means is if if you need to publish to uh, a computer, to a phone, uh, to the Xbox, to the HoloLens, to an Internet of Things device, you can still have one project. Right now in the Universal app, you really have multiple. You'll right. get You'll get one single binary that you can publish to one store. Right now you get multiple binaries. You publish to each separate store differently. And you can share one in-app purchase amongst them all. So if you buy something on a phone you'll get that on all of your other devices. Right. And this is, and this is the way it should be, right? I I just want to build one app and I want to reach as many people as I can. Yeah. Then the next one caught me off guard. Maybe, you know, a little bit more about this, but uh, you can uh, have web apps that are submitted to the store. So it's essentially, it's different than a pinned app, but you can have a little bit of code in your website, in your web application that utilizes some of the uh, WinRT APIs and somehow, and I'm not very sure uh, exactly how this works, but they said you'll be able to publish those to the store. So it'll still be a web application on your server, but you'll be able to publish to the store and distribute it that way. Right, right. So there was kind of a revealing tweet on that. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much information has come out on this, but there was a revealing tweet. It was talking about um, uh, the web application template or toolkit. I can't recall which one it is, Uh, but that's, that was sort of the, the origin of this thing. So I think if you go to wat.codeplex.com, let me just confirm that that's the right one. Right. So if you go there and you look at some web app template, um, you can see sort of a concept of this. And I played around with this. This is really cool. So being able to take a website and package it up super quick and then get it into the store. Um, so that was sort of the, uh, you know, the first iteration of this. That's pretty cool. Yep. And then they also said that, you know, as we're getting closer to windows 10 to keep up, um, make sure that, with Windows 10, make sure that you go to insider.windows.com, sign up for there so you get the latest and greatest bits and builds. And if you want to develop, look into universal apps. They, they keep banging this over and over. This is a very consistent message they've had for the last year. If you want to have a great Windows 10 experience, start learning how universal apps work. Right. And then the last thing that they announced at Mobile World Congress outside of the Windows 10 universal is two new phones for Lumia. Uh, the 640 and the 640XL. Yep. And, and e- either one of these got you excited or what, what are your thoughts? Well, to me, the I mean, a- anytime that you get uh, 
you know, a new Microsoft phone, it's it's important. This is hitting a, a very middle of the road. Um, a lot of what Microsoft sells as Lumia phones are in the middle range. Um, mm-hmm. This doesn't personally have me excited. I'm waiting for a hero phone. I, I need a hero phone. Um, yep. It's just who I am and what I want. But one of the things that is very interesting is they've kind of tightened up their naming uh, and changed it a little bit. In the past, this uh, wouldn't have been called the 640XL. It would have been like the 1340 or something like right, that. Right, right. No, that is cool that it's, you know, it's and, just a variant of that other phone. And, and and it brings a little bit easier to remember syntax to all this. So not a whole lot with this, but just know that they're out there. If you're looking for something middle range, this might be uh, something out. AT&T yep. has already announced that they're going to be carrying this in the U.S., and is this I, the successor to like the 635? That was one question that I had for you. I'm not sure if this is intended to, but okay. it seems like it's a logical successor. Yeah, because I think this is what was the the starting price is like 140 or something, 150. Do I have that right? I don't see it on this page, but it it uh, you know I'm kind of curious if this thing's gonna you know end up being 80 bucks or 50 bucks you know in in just a few months, making this pretty killer because the 635 is already amazing. I mean, I have Windows 10 on on my 635 and it, it performs really well. It's, it's an awesome phone. So the fact that this, this has a gig of uh, memory, you know, a couple, a couple things, uh, a couple of the specs got bumped up on it. If that comes down to near the same price, this is actually a pretty killer phone. I've, I've recommended a lot of people get the 635. So this might be kind of my, my new uh, phone to recommend to people who don't want to, you know, go out and spend five, six, $700. And then GDC, what happened there? Uh, GDC is the game developers conference and there was yep. a, there's a bunch of Xbox announcements. Um, uh, Phil Spencer, uh, who heads that up announced that the Xbox live SDK is available to developers. And, uh, I, I'm not too familiar with what that SDK involves, but, uh, it's so def- it says managed. It's in the hands of managed partners. So it's not available for all developers, yet, right. but, but for a certain amount it is. And, I'm assuming that means that pretty soon it'll be out for all. Um, uh, they said the development model, once again, uh, back to what we said before, universal apps. Um, right. These are going to be part of the universal app platform. Uh, you'll be able to, once again, hit that single project, single binary, single store, single in-app purchase. If you want to make a game, it'll it'll be a universal app. And also, as part of this article, I'm jumping down a bit, but it does say that you can develop games for HoloLens through Xbox. Which Very is cool. really cool. Um, yeah. Also, the, the accessories. Um, I'm just going to read this verbatim. All wireless Xbox gaming accessories will be designed for and supported on both Xbox One and Windows 10 PCs moving forward. That's really cool. So that there's, me- there, there's really never been. Well, it's probably just been a technical reason. But now that they, you know, they have the same architecture, they're both basically x86 architecture. There's no reason why you can't have that, you know, the exact same gaming experience on your PC and on your Xbox. Exactly. I mean, my kids have, for example, Minecraft on the PC and the Xbox. It would mm-hmm. be great just to bring that controller over, use that same controller that they're used to for the Xbox onto the PC. Yep. Cool. And then the only other thing we have in the news is the Spartan browser. So we had uh, we had talked about this one previously, but there was a good blog post that came out a few days ago that was that, that just revealed some more of the internal um, information on on kind of how this thing is being built, why it's being built, and I think the the coolest part about this, well, actually, I'm not going to say it's the coolest. There's a couple of cool things about this. So the first one is uh, it's under the the heading rethinking our assumptions. It's just talking about all the the you know complexity in identifying 
how to render a page previously. And there are all these different these different engines and different flags that you could you could put in your web page. And I had to you know sort of execute different code on there. And the code was just getting really complex, really ugly. Um, you know, there was just a, a lot of uh, legacy stuff in there. So what they did was they ended up, you know, forking off the engine and and probably ripping out just a ton of code out there, building this new engine that's just capable of rendering everything. And they're testing it against this. This was this was why that other thing probably wasn't the most interesting. It says um, we do daily analysis on trillions of URLs crawled in, conjun- in conjunction with Bing to detect patterns that exist in the head of the web and the tail of the web. So basically, you know, the the majority of the pages out there that that aren't in that, you know, kind of top 100 list, you know, they're analyzing all of those trying to, um, you know, support those as well in the best way possible. And I think that that's absolutely key. And that's really going to help whenever, whenever this thing, you know, I guess goes head to head with Chrome. I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily like a huge battle, but um, you know, when people are trying to pick a browser, um, whenever you, whenever you try this thing out for the first time and you go to your favorite web pages, it has to render correctly. So all the work that they're putting into that is pretty cool. And then the support of, uh, of web services and, um, some of the other details that they mentioned in here, it's, it's just, uh, it's pretty cool. It, it, it starts to make a lot of sense now why they went down this route. Yeah. And one thing I liked about this article is it explained the why. And right. a lot of times Microsoft marketing has missed out on the why they just say, we did this. It's awesome have at yeah. it. And yeah. then people just like, Hey, well, what about this? And if Microsoft would have just communicated that better, it would have really eased some of that pain. And I think one, if people read articles like this and they understand, you know, the thought that went into this and the reasons why they made certain choices, it really does have an effect on how people use it. Yep. Okay. So let's talk to Lindsay. She's been kind of quiet. Are you still there, Lindsay? I am still here. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I hear you guys talk or anybody technical, I learn something new. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. We had, uh, we had a lot of, uh, yeah, we had a lot of, uh, different topics this week. It was, that was some crazy news. Okay. So yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, we just, we wanted to talk about kind of the whole hiring process and, you know, there's probably a lot of people that listen to our show that, well, I would say that probably everybody or almost everybody is going to get another job at some point. And there's probably a lot of people that are in college or, you know, looking for, for the, for the perfect job out there. And I think this is a good opportunity to, to talk to somebody like yourself and and see it from the other side, instead of reading these articles, you know, top 10 ways to get an awesome job. Um, (laughs) You know, I'd rather, I'd rather just go talk to you. (laughs) That works for me. Yeah. So do you want to give us a little bit of background? Like what, what is your role at Skyline in the hiring process? Sure. Absolutely. So I have been recruiting since 2006 um, for all sorts of companies, large and small. Um, and really looking at my the, the experience that I've had in all these different industries and different roles, um, what I see the recruiter being is the gatekeeper of all the steps. Um, mm-hmm. So basically we're in charge of seeing the process through from beginning to end. And I put the hiring process into five different buckets, um, the buckets being the posting and the sourcing, number two being the screening, number three, the interview process, actually sitting down with the folks to interview, four being the offer stage, and five being the onboarding. And really what the recruiter's role is, is to manage that process smoothly um, for both the company and the candidate. Okay. So how much do you investigate on uh- candidates when you when you hear about them the first time do you google or bing them or what is your process when you first get something in 
That's a good question. So with Skyline, we're fortunate, and I've seen in the IT industry especially, that um, it's very small. Everybody seems to be connected. And the majority of associates that we hire at Skyline are actually referrals. Um, now, one person could know them and really like them, another may not. So I do a lot of research of looking at the LinkedIn profiles. So I know we'll talk about LinkedIn throughout here, but I think it's really important because you do get to see the connections and doing the reach outs of, hey, do you know this person? Would you recommend them? Would you want to uh, work with them? Um, so we do as recruiters at, at the front end, a lot of research into who may know this person, as well as looking at their previous history at companies. Has anybody been there? Has anybody met them that way? So there's a lot of different points before a resume actually passes through to the hiring manager for a next step. Um, on the Google or Bing side, I personally don't do that um, just because I, I use other resources such as LinkedIn and such. However, mm -hmm. I will say the majority of hiring managers that I've worked with or other um, technical folks or, you know, any part of anybody who's part of the interview process, I know that they'll do it from time to time. So you should do it to yourself and see what's out there about you. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not Jason Young, the murderer, by the way, or the baseball player. <laughs> Actually, funny story. When I just had my daughter not too long ago, I did go out on Wisconsin Court um, as well as Google, and I I, I uh, searched her name before we even named her to make sure there wasn't anybody too creepy out there. Yeah, my so. mom is a prostitute in Milwaukee, according <laughs> oh, to that. So <laughs> she she went out there one time. She she sent me the profile of somebody with the same birthday, same name, same oh. everything. And, yeah. and I was looking at it. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what, is, what's the deal with this? And she's like, yeah, this is some other person. Oh my like, gosh. No, no, yeah. that is unbelievable. And that comes up too. Whenever you, yeah. Whenever you apply for a mortgage, I don't know if you've ever had that where they go, uh, yeah, there's some deadbeat, you know, Jason Young's out there and you have to sign this paper saying you're not any of them. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. So know who yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. So the, there's the whole Google and Bing thing, but I was kind of curious, like, um, like Facebook profiles. I've, I've heard about that happening before, you know, people, especially I would say younger people just, yeah. and it's, it's not an, it's not an age thing. It's more of a, um, you know, they're, they're just, they're more likely to be coming out of college and maybe have like some college dorm photos in there and, and things like that, you know, maybe them at parties, drinking beer or whatever. I don't know. I'm kind of generalizing, but, um, you, you see know, that circulating out there. I yeah. see a lot of, uh, you know, the news stories about how somebody was fired or somebody wasn't hired because of Facebook. Um, exactly. I highly suggest locking it down just because, again, people are going to be curious. They're going to go out there. They're going to search you. Um, I found that if I do try to Facebook stalk people after the fact when they hire on to see if, you know, I want to connect with them or anything, a lot of times I'm not able um, to connect with them or see their profiles unless I have a second connection type of thing. But um, along the lines of the younger generation, um, one of our other recruiters, Jane out of Milwaukee, she is pretty new out of college and she has actually seen a lot of people on Facebook more so than I have. So I think you're right with that demographic and being careful and locking your things down. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, you know, speaking of like social networking, so how important is a LinkedIn profile and, uh, you know, keeping that up to date and having good information out there? That is a good question. Um, I think LinkedIn is a very 
powerful tool. Um, I know, especially, you can probably speak to this as the technical folks, um, that you're going to get a lot of messages on LinkedIn from the recruiters of the world like me, um, yep. especially in a market like today's. I do think it's extremely important to be up to date, to be using that as a networking tool, to be socializing with others, because when you're ready for the next step in your career, the best way to get into a new position or to get into a company is leveraging that network. Um, we strongly use LinkedIn at Skyline, not only to search for passive candidates, but also to build the network connections, to um, increase your credibility out in the marketplace, um, and just to continue to network with others in your industry. I think it's extremely important. And if you haven't done it now, get out there, build one. Um, I teach a class internally at Skyline on LinkedIn 101, how to do that. And there's so many different tools you can use LinkedIn for, for your career and just bettering yourself. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, any, anything specific other, other than having that up to date, I'm in that class. I'm curious if there's like something that people do wrong in there or, you know, like what, what do you, what do you teach them other than that? Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's, excuse me, doing anything wrong per se, but there's yeah. a lot of things that you can do to showcase yourself there. Um, for you guys, you know, putting the MS dev show out there. I think that's huge because a recruiter like myself, if you're applying to my job and I go look at your profile, I can see how you're lifelong learners, how you're engaging the communities that you're in, the different certs that you may have. There's going to be more details out there that maybe uh, your resume okay. would bring in. So I don't think it's so much that you do wrong, but um, you know, you're able to connect with others. Now on the opposite end of that, I wouldn't suggest connecti connecting with just anybody and everybody um, because you are tied in a referral sense to that person then. So if it's not somebody you want in your back pocket and you want to say, go ahead and hire that person or vice versa, they don't have something good to say about you. I wouldn't just open up your network to them. Okay. So should I be linking to like my blog and GitHub and all that good stuff out there? Absolutely. And it's really easy to build that out and to add those things um, onto LinkedIn. And it's just a nice central location to highlight a lot of those things for the non-technical people of the world to take a look at. Well, I learned something new because I, I think I have my blog linked and maybe the podcast, but that was about it. Yeah. That's good to know. Get it out there. Yeah. How much does a, a good resume matter? I mean, is it just a checklist, checklist of skills to get you in the door or is it something that really should be tailored for every prospective employer? Good question. Um, I think to me, a good resume is your introduction and your way into the next step of your career. I mean, think of that as you walking up, handing somebody your resume, if they're not able to meet you, that is basically your calling card. How are you going to get it in the door? How are you even going to get people to know you're out there looking? Um, so when you actually put together your resume, I believe you should be tailoring your skills to the job that you want. Um, for instance, you know, we, when we're looking for developers, we're looking at the Microsoft stack. If you have Microsoft skills and you're not listing those on your resume, you're listing everything else, you know, or, you know, being very, um, generic in your, in your, uh, listing of your certs and your, um, skill set, we're not going to see that you have that. And we may find the next candidate who has everything listed and you may get, you know, put to the side or put in the pool for now. So I think it's a good way to showcase your skills to at least get the interest buzzing. Um, and then you can really dive in deeper as you get those conversations rolling. What other resume tricks or, you know, things do you see on resumes that really make them stand out? 
Good question. One of the things for me, um, when I'm looking at resumes and I look at a lot and I've looked at a lot in many years and it's, you know, it becomes a skill where you can actually jump through and find out what you need. It doesn't need to be super fancy. Um, that being said, when you do go through and you start making a resume, you should really make it flow nicely. Think about the things um, in a job po posting that people want to see. So they're going to want to see education, put that near the top. Highlight some of those more recent skills, really, really pull out bullet points in your most recent opportunities that you've been in, some of those projects that you've done. And as you get later into the history of your resume, you don't need to add as many details, maybe a few key projects that you were part of or key skills that you brought to the table. Doesn't need to be 20 pages by any means, but really highlight the relevant information and make it flow nicely. Okay. So it shouldn't just be a, a list of things covering my entire resume. I've seen that. I've totally <laughs> yeah. seen that. And then you print it out and it just keeps printing and printing and printing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, scrolling through and searching. Yeah. It's basically like a list of, of every language that, that has ever been invented. And it's like, oh, I'm pretty sure you're not an expert in all of these. <laughs> a yeah, absolutely. And well, and along that too, you guys know technology is always changing. Keep relevant yep. and list those relevant skills that you have. We don't need to see, you know, things that you've done 20 years ago that have totally gone by the wayside at this point. Um, some of those you can start scratching off the list. 20 years COBOL experience. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so don't don't take this personal, this next question, but I, I'm kind of curious. This has been my experience. So, you know, results may vary. But, I, you know, in my experience, HR has, has typically done a, just a terrible job at filtering resumes. <laughs> You know, so, so I'd, I'd put out a job posting and then HR would be like, oh, here's 10 really good ones. And and they were, they were just terrible. And I usually gave them the benefit of the doubt. I'd interview them. And, and at that point I just gave up and I was like, you know, give me the big stack. And uh, I was, I was able to do a lot, you know, it was, it just seems super easy to me just because I knew what technical things I was looking for. Right. So I'm kind of curious if there's any hope or maybe, maybe that was an isolated incident. If there's any hope, I like that. That makes <laughs> me laugh. Um, sometimes no. However, you know, what I've found traditionally is since I'm not a technical person, I do rely heavily on the hiring manager to teach me what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, so I suggest any HR professional or any, you know, for, for instance, you and in a man hiring manager perspective, sit down with your HR person, go through just a five minute, look at this job description, highlight those buzzwords. This is what I'm looking for. Um, and if you're not getting that, take the time to teach them because we are willing to learn um, and we're open to that feedback, obviously. Um, but I do rely heavily on my technical folks and my hiring manager to say, you're missing the boat here, or this is what we need. And then over, you know, over time, hopefully we'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you find that you know, it's a, a big thing where applicants lie or exaggerate, or is that just really an edge case that happens? That is a really good question. Um, I think that exaggerations happen. Um, and for instance, especially when you're talking to a non-technical person in the very beginning, because you can throw out all of the buzzwords that you want me to hear, and I'm going to think you're fantastic, right? Because you're saying everything I want to hear. Yep. Um, that being said, 
that's why there's a process in place. Because if it does get through the first checkpoint where you are exaggerating and you are um, maybe not lying per se, but kind of, um, you know, stretching the truth on some of your skills, I'm hoping that comes out in the technical discussions or through those referrals again um, to say, no, they really didn't do that. Um, and if it doesn't come out there, it's going to in the interview. Um, the interview teams, I, I prep my interview teams um, to really dig into specific examples um, because past behavior predicts future um future behavior. So basically, they're going to dig into those specific examples, and you're not going to do yourself any favors by lying on your resume. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is you can teach skill, but you can't teach integrity. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're going to stretch the truth on your skills, what, what's it, what's it, how is that going to set you up for success? Exactly. I just thought that was crazy. I mean, I've heard so many news stories about that, you know, especially like people in like positions of power and here they lied about, well, I guess there's like the whole Brian Williams thing, but <laughs> you know, right? sort of ignoring that for a second, people, you know, saying like they graduated from a certain school and here they went mm -hmm. for one year and then dropped out. And it's just, it's just unbelievable to me. I, d I don't know how people think that they can get away with that. I mean, if it's, if it's something on the resume that doesn't matter, then okay, go ahead and lie about it, but it doesn't matter. So the lie doesn't get you anything. And if it's something that does matter, you're going to be found out. Absolutely. There's so many checks and balances along the way. And even if you do get yourself a foot in the door, it's going to come out eventually. You can't go through your life living like that. And I don't know why you'd want to. Yeah, exactly. Or even just scared that that's going to come out. So right. it's just insane to me. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, you know, as, as you, you know, the people listening to the show, as they're going through an interview process or they're going through that, that whole process with a recruiter um, or with the company, you know, somebody in HR or however that's working, you know, what are the, what are the things that will make them really stand out? You know, I've had um, just in, in my personal experience, I've, I've applied to some companies that just like immediately email back and they're like, we're not interested. Sure. And it's like, well, I, you know, we really didn't even get that far. Like, how, so how do you stand out? It's going to come down to that um, networking, um, obviously using your network to get your foot in the door, talking to the people yep. that you know. I mean, if you're going to go into, say you want to apply at Skyline, we're going to check out who you know. And if Carl comes up to me and say, you're not even 100% match of the skills, but he says, I've worked with this person. They are a great team player. They fit our culture very well. Um, they may not have the skill set, but I really think we should take a look at them. Um, that is definitely going to get you a phone call, at least with me to start and your resume shared with a hiring manager. So I think really standing out is using and leveraging that network. Um, if you don't have a network, um, you can go on LinkedIn. You can find people that are there. Um, learn more about them, connect with them, ask them questions, even if you don't connect with them directly. Just try to find a way, you know, just to kind of get a little bit more glimmer of hope to get into that company. Um, also, using that resume to make it flow, to get your, to tailor it to the job description, and that's going to kind of initially open up that door. Um, and then once you're in there, you need to be yourself and have, have that personality and shine through. That was an awesome answer. And, and, Thanks. It's long-winded, but you know. <laughs> no, it's perfect. <laughs> and, and to add to that, I've had people come up to me asking about Skyline and asking me, you know, what's it like to be there, or whatever. And and I've since referred them. And so, mm -hmm. if if there's a job that you want and it's at a location, um, don't be afraid to just go up, find somebody who works there, and say, "Hey, I want to work here. You know, what's it like? What does it take?" Absolutely. Well, and then I would say even even the fact that they were asking those questions. You know, like that says something too. you know, because exactly. if they come up to you like, I want a job, you got any jobs, you know, like <laughs> that's, you know, you, you can just tell like, no, there are no jobs here. Trust me. <laughs> but if they come up and they're just like, 
yeah, what's, you know, like, what's your, what's your day-to-day job like? And, you know, if they ask those types of questions, then, then I would, I would definitely refer them to the company I'm working at, you know? Absolutely. It shows that engagement. And I'm always shocked that people will apply to us in our generic, you know, resumes at Skyline email inbox. And I'll go start looking, you know, looking at them up at LinkedIn and see they're connected to quite a few people here. And some of our people have no idea that they're applying and they would refer (laughs) them. And I'm like, why didn't you use your network? We would have been able to. Exactly. Because I'll go do the work for you. That's great. But at the same time, you could have found out a lot more and this could have gone a lot quicker. Wow. That's yeah, that's really good advice. And I know uh, John Sanmez too, in his book, he really talked about that. And, and if you don't have a connection at a company, he really went into depth about how you actually get a connection to a company. So I know how important that is. Absolutely. So sort of conversely to my last question, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, what makes you lose um, interest in a prospect as they're going through the process? So you, you say, oh, okay, I, I, this person emailed me, let's talk to them. So what makes you lose interest? That's a that's an interesting one. So we talked a little bit about the exaggeration on the resume. Um, yeah. Clearly, if you're if you're not who you say you are, we're going to lose interest real fast because some of the values that we have instilled in our organization are having that integrity and being honest. Um, and you know we want that. So clearly, that's going to edge you out of the process. Um, for us, a big thing is personality. Do we want to work with you? Um, a lot of your time is spent at work. Um, so you want to be around the teammates that you know are going to make that day more enjoyable for you. So if you come in and you're sharing um, how you're going to make this person's life better, how you're going to add value to an organization, that'll keep them engaged. However, if you come in kind of with an attitude, you're snarky or you have any snobbery to you, you're going to be out the door real fast. Yeah, can you tell us what technical interviews are like and what are things that maybe some of the technical interviews look for that aren't that obvious? I like that one. Um, So, you know, again, here at Skyline, and I would say probably any um, IT type of um, group is going to have a technical interview. It's not going to be with me. That is first and foremost, the first thing, um, just because I'm not going to be able to speak your language. And there's no use in trying because I'll be, you know, shut the door on really quickly there. Um, But when it comes to that technical interview, as much technical conversation as you're going to have, our technical screeners are still looking for that fit perspective in the respect of, do I want to work with you? Do you engage? Are you a lifelong learner? Are you going to be able to help me when I come to problems, uh, run into problems with my clients or with other projects that I'm working on? So I think, you know, even though you're going to be speaking technically with them and sharing what you do know and highlighting those situations, you still have to bring your A game from a fit and from a personality standpoint, because that's one thing that, you know, people don't really think of. They think they're just going to go talk tech, um, but really you're still being, you know, sought out, sought after as a, as a potential teammate too. I was just updating my LinkedIn profile with my GitHub. Okay. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's out there now. Okay. Uh, so one thing, you know, whenever I was interviewing at Microsoft, they, they are sort of famously known for interview puzzles. And I, I did, I did, I don't know, I'll say 20 hours of research before I, I had interviewed there. And I, w- I was doing a lot of re- reading about these puzzles. And it, it was funny because they got to the point of being so famous for it that they allegedly people, interviewers were coming in and, and they would say like, you know, uh, manhole covers are round so they don't fall in the hole. You know, like they would just come in, like answering the question before it was even asked. Um, and, there, and there's other there's a lot of other good questions. In fact, I, I, I have a book. It's called um, How to Move 
I think it's, uh, how would you move Mount Fuji? Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's an entire book on the Microsoft interview process. Although I I would say it's a little, it's a little dated, but it's kind of on, on all these different types of puzzles. And I read that book ahead of time too. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on those types of puzzles, you know, cause I think there's, there's people that may be good for the job, but Mm -hmm. you know, that they just don't, you know, they sort of stumble on a puzzle. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Absolutely. Interview puzzles to me, um, it's like, that's an interesting one. Um, I had a, I had an interview team member who asked the question, which line at the grocery store do you go into and why? (laughs) And she asked it at, she was one of our VPs at the time. And she asked that of every interview. And I will never forget the look on so many people's faces. And that was very early in my career. Um, So my personal thoughts on interview puzzles, they're, they're cruel, um, yeah. but they, they really do show a creative thinking side of an individual. So if you, you know, I had never actually heard the term interview puzzle. I always knew that they were out there and those were the types of questions. I didn't realize it was an actual term for a while, but if you actually go into it and think that questions like that could be answered and that you might have to think on your feet and be creative with some of those things, you do see how flustered people can get and if they get thrown off. But when you're an interview candidate, if you go in just knowing that that's going to show your creativity and your thinking, um, don't take it too serious because there's no right answer or wrong answer per se. There could be to a couple of them. But, um, you know, just your ability to think on your feet, show that creative thinking, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do you some good. Um, from my perspective in an interview, I hope that if any of my, my interviewees are going to throw those puzzles in there, I hope it's towards the end so it doesn't throw the candidate too far off. Nice. So, so for the grocery store one, I would say count the number of items and then I would factor in the uh, transaction time for, for each person in line. And then there was an article I read that said that you should not uh, switch lines uh, scientific or mathematically if you switch lines, it, it it ends up being worse for you. Oh my gosh! See, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, speaking of some other dreaded questions, maybe not so technical, but you know, I've been to interviews where they've asked, "What is your five year plan?" or "What is your greatest weakness?" I mean, are are these still <laughs> things that come up? And and are, and are they even valid questions? That's a that's a really great question because they are dreaded questions and you know that you're going to get them. If you go out and bing, you know, top five interview questions or what to do during an interview, those questions are going to be on there. And I can guarantee you they're going to come up in every interview packet that's ever given to anybody who's going to ask questions. Um, my suggestion on those is really going in, you know, from the five-year perspective, um, to really show your desire to be forward thinking. You know, even if you want to stay in the same role for the rest of your life, you want to be a developer, you want to be, you know, heads down, you don't want to become a leader per se, but you can become a technical leader or you can be an expert in the, in the things that you're learning. So being a forward thinker about how you want to continue to stay on that cutting edge of technology, how you want to be a lifelong learner, things like that going into them. I think it's a legit question. Um, and also, you know, along the, what's your greatest weakness, actually being able to just share a weakness is a win in itself. Um, people don't like to talk about the downers during an interview. They want to talk about the wins that they've had. So if you go in and you have a weakness, um, and you're able to kind of talk through that and how you recognize it and how you're able to, um, start, you know, making progress towards making that more of a strength or not such a weakness, that's going to give you major brownie points in the eyes of the interviewers. So you shouldn't just say that my greatest weakness is I work too hard. 
I work way too hard. <laughs> now, my my greatest weakness is is you know the the narrow temperature band in which I'm able to survive compared to the relative temperatures of the universe. I kind of like that. <laughs> so I bring a blanket to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. So what about uh, what about things like attire? So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep referencing Microsoft just because. Um, you know, we had, when we were, we were talking to Scott Hanselman, we had, we had talked about some of this and, and getting into there. And, and actually it was, it was kind of a, um, a different place to, to interview at because I, I knew some people that work there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was, Hey, make sure that you don't wear a suit, mm-hmm. you know, it, cause it's, and I actually, I don't even know if it's a necessarily Microsoft thing. It might be more of kind of like a West coast thing. And right. especially, you know, if you think about like these, these startups, like there's probably startups where where like t-shirt and if you have anything more than t-shirt and jeans on, you're, you're not going to get the job. But uh, at, at Microsoft, it's a little bit more reasonable. It's, you know, dress like one level above uh, casual and, and that's sort of the optimal attire. So how do how do people figure out what the what the right attire is? Just ask questions. You know, where the recruiters are there to help you. They want you to be successful. That's a win for them, too. Um, okay. So just, you know, ask the questions. I always would say, you know, dress to impress. That doesn't mean, you know five-piece suit or anything like that. If You may know you're going into a laid-back environment. I'm sitting in my jeans today. That's how Sky, what Skyline's all about, just being comfortable. Um, but unless you're told to dress down, I'd say put your best foot forward because some people really are sticklers on this, and that's the one thing that they'll remember when they go into an interview consensus. And to your point, Jason, it could be totally the opposite where, oh my gosh, do they, wear, do they own a pair of jeans? They're so stiff. To, right. I mean, really, they came in in jeans and a t-shirt. What were they thinking? So it is no harm, no foul in asking what you should wear to an interview and what's acceptable. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I think that's that's pretty easy. Just ask. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about culture quite a bit so far. I mean, how would you define, you know, what fitting in a, into a culture is and how can I find out what kind of culture a company has? That's one of the biggest um, parts of the interview is, are they going to be a match for our culture? What does culture mean? Um, And culture is something that's different to every single organization out there. The best way to learn about culture is um, going out onto the website. Obviously, everybody has their values. Whether or not they're ingrained in the culture is a different story, but everybody's going to tell you that their values are very important. Here at Skyline, we are 100% interviewing on our culture fit. Um, you know, do you want to be a consultant? Are you going to, I talk about lifelong learning how many times during this podcast already? Um, you know, are you going to be networking? Are you going to get your foot out there? Are you open to travel? It's little things like that. Um, so during the culture, you know, fit, which is going to be throughout your entire interview process, I think it's just as important for the candidate to be finding out if it's going to be a match for them. Um, you know, what I talked about, the travel for Skyline. Now that's local travel um, for the most part within our demographic, but some people don't want to travel from downtown Milwaukee out to the Burbs and they don't want to come up to Northeastern Wisconsin, things like that. Um, But go out there, ask the questions, um, dig in a little bit more, do your research on that company and ask what those culture values and what's really important as a future associate would be. Whenever I'm in an interview, interview, I usually tend to ask far more questions than are asked of me. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious in what ways, uh, you know, interviewees should be interviewing the company, you know, like at the end, whenever you say, you know, do you have any questions for me? Um, is it a really bad sign if they say, no, I don't have any questions or, you know, what, what's kind of an ideal situation there? 
That's a, that's a good one because we have a lot, I, I've heard a lot of feedback in consensus meetings about candidates that they didn't have any questions. Um, I've never heard they have too many questions. Now, I would expect any interview to be conversational. I'm hoping that it goes that route where you're opening it up to this is what we're all about. Um, what do you think? And they ask the questions back throughout that interview. If it's a super, super conversational question and you have literally run out of every question at the end, think back to what people say about their role. Um, think back to some of the questions they've asked and ask them to elaborate on it. You know, it's just taking that key point and listening in during your interview or during your discussion that'll show your engagement. Um, and that'll resonate in, in that interview um, team's mind. That being said, um, if you follow up um, afterwards, you're going to go home and you're going to run through all these things that you should have asked in the moment or that you should have said. You can always do that follow up. You can always reach out to the individuals that you met with or to the recruiter to get those questions asked. Um, it's never a bad thing to ask as many questions as needed because like you said, Jason, you're interviewing that company as much as they're interviewing you. You want it right. to be a fit. Trying to get across that, you know, how do you get your foot in the door problem? You know, a lot of times there's like, it seems like it's an entry level position, but you need like so many years of experience. You know, mm -hmm. how's one, how's one way to get across that? How, how do you get your foot in the door? Back to that networking. Um, using that user, those user groups, LinkedIn, social activities. The most important thing you can get the most important thing you can do to get your foot in the door is using that network. Um, when it comes down to it, you may not be an ideal fit for a position from every job requirement that's out there, but it's not about your years of experience. It's not about um, everything that you don't have. It's about meeting somebody at a company that you want to be at, utilizing them, getting them to talk how great you are and what skills can be taught. Um, if somebody likes to work with you, that's going to speak far more than to the three skills that maybe you're lacking that you can learn in the, in the future. So if I'm, if I'm in the middle of an interview, I should say, if I, if I, I'm in the middle of this hiring process, everything seems like it's going right. And then all of a sudden I get eliminated. Um, you know, any advice for those people or, or what, what should you do in that kind of situation? You may not be chosen now. Um, my, my very, very, very strong suggestion is that you don't put up a fight. Um, you don't tell me every reason why you should have been hired. You don't get snarky. You don't get rude. Does, does that happen? Um, it happens a lot. <sighs> I had an example, actually, at one of the, the company that I first started with, that one man was very, very angry that he didn't get the job, and he wrote me a very mean email. Um, <sighs> and he went as far as to find out who the CEO of the company was and copied him on it. The funny thing, though, is he was our second choice. And so okay. had things fallen through with the first candidate or had oh, we had a second yeah. role open up, we would have called him. But I can tell you, I won't forget his name. Um, <laughs> and to this day, he is definitely on my do not hire list. Oh, yeah. So, That's totally you know, digging digging yourself into a hole. That's crazy. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, the team that you work with should be on your side. So I wasn't getting a, you know, a visit from the hiring manager, the CEO going, what were you thinking? They were going, yeah. well, he clearly wasn't a fit for us. So yeah. put him in the, in the past pile. But, you know, that's my biggest thing is you may not be chosen now. You may not be chosen in five months. Um, don't have that attitude. There may not be a fit at the specific time, but there could be down the road. Um, and another thing about that is when you're connecting with the folks that you're interviewing with, go back to LinkedIn, network with them, connect with them, because maybe you're not a fit um, for that position or the company at the time, but that person may know somebody at company Y and may want to share your information with them. And they may, that may lead to a whole different 
aspect of your career that you didn't know was out there. Yeah. So, you know, let's say we go through this entire process and, you know, we get a, you know, uh, you know, a, a salary offer, you know, any suggestions you have for salary and package negotiations? That's a tough one. Everybody, you know, everybody always thinks about what do I do? Should I negotiate? Um, I will tell you this. Most organizations, especially Skyline, are going to do what's right from the perspective of internal equity and being competitive in the marketplace. Um, That being said, I strongly, strongly suggest you share your salary range at the right point um, in your interview process. Um, Right in the very beginning of the conversation, share where you're at, share where you need to be. Um, you know, don't waste your time or anybody else's time. Um, if you're flexible, great, share that, but, you know, still share where you're at or where you need to be because the hiring team is going to be honest with you if we can't meet your expectations. And we'll start having those conversations throughout the process. Um, in that same light, when you interview, um, look at your total offer and your total compensation. Um, you, you alluded to that a little bit with the full package. If you're coming in um, and getting a salary that may not be up to your expectation, or maybe there's other pieces that are missing. Salary may not be negotiable in those instances, but other items might be like vacation or time off or um, bonus structure. You really should be looking at the total compensation. And if you're making those moves to be happy um, and things like that, if you're losing as a whole or you're gaining in other areas is going to be really important. Um, And if you are losing at some total comp benefits, Talk about those things. Come back in your negotiation. Share what you're missing out on. And there may be other ways to compensate for that, like I said, in other little ways if this base salary really isn't there yet. So use your tools, do your homework, and share those things. Yeah, I think earlier in my career, I I pretty much just looked at salary. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as I I get older and hopefully wiser, um, I tend to look at the whole thing, right? I mean, health insurance is a big one. Right. The cost of that insurance can can vary wildly, the the amount of coverage that you get. Mm-hmm. And then even things like 401k and tax savings, that can actually have a significant monetary impact. Um, or And then there's also, you know, profit sharing and uh, stock purchase plans and things like that. So yeah, I would encourage anybody who's who's looking at any position to make sure that you understand all of those things. And I always, what I what I've done every time is I I end up, sort of assigning a monetary value to those mm-hmm. and then, and then putting it into a spreadsheet and I can always figure out, you know, so I can do sort of an apples to apples comparison. Absolutely. You know, not every job change is going to be an increase in compensation. Not everything is going to be next step because of more money. Um, and you should really be doing things because they're the fit for you and they're taking your career to where they need to be. And hopefully you're, you're at a place where that recognition is going to go a long way um, and you're going to be rewarded for those things. Okay. Is there any uh, kind of final advice that you want to leave our listeners with? I would say for advice, you know, use your friendly recruiter to get your questions answered. Um, When you go (laughs) into an interview, be prepared. Ask about the interview process. Come up with specific examples um, to share with people. Show what you know and just take that as an opportunity to showcase yourself and network, network, network. I can't hit on that enough because that is going to be um, the future of getting your foot in any door if it isn't already there. Yeah, well, that makes a ton of sense. Cool. Okay, let's move on to the Azure pick of the week. So I have two picks here. These are pretty quick ones. So the first one is uh, Document DB moving to general availability. So this is the native Azure document database. Uh, so basically, like a J- JSON document store. And this is now general availability, which means you get support. And, uh, you know, this thing actually has an SLA with it and all of that good stuff. 
So if you were waiting to deploy an application to production using document DB, now is your chance. Uh, and then the next one here is there are two new compute sizes within Azure. So there's a A10 and an A11 size. So these are actually the same as the A8 and A9 instances, except that they cost less money. And the reason for that is they don't have this separate uh, network card in them. That's the um, it's an RDMA network card. So it's not like a standard uh, high speed network card. It's actually meant for like direct memory access and certain um, HPC workloads. So, you know, if you don't if you don't know what RDMA is or you know that you're not using it, but you need these size machines, then these are for you because you can save a little bit of money. And then, Carl, what do we got for the app of the week? Uh, today's app of the week, I foresaw the topic and I picked the LinkedIn <laughs> apps for both phone and Windows Phone and Windows Store. Um, what, what I like about them is I can turn all the email reminders off in LinkedIn and I can just get the notifications on my phone okay. and then I can interact with them that way. Um, also, I since I work in the same place that Lindsay does, you know, LinkedIn is pushed highly and we are, you know, you know, told and expected that we'll, you know, use LinkedIn. And so I find these apps just a nice uh, way to interact with them so I can keep my email box clear. Okay. So the notifications do come through, huh? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I have it, I think I have it set up for email right now and yeah, it's kind of annoying whenever those come in and then you click on the links in there and then it takes you to LinkedIn site. And of course I'm not logged in. So yeah, they have to go through the whole rigmarole. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just don't. So, <laughs> so that, that solves that. <laughs> that's that's pretty much how I roll. Okay, so we have a game that we play. Have you ever heard this game, Lindsay? I haven't. Play? I love games. Okay, okay, here we go. This is really easy. Uh, so first thing you got to do is pick a number between one and four. Two. Two, okay. And then you got to answer this question. Would you rather have your parents call you Snookums and Cupcake in front of all your friends or... <laughs> Have to play a two-hour game of Twister with someone else's fat and sweaty grandma and grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with cookie, Cupcake and Snookums. <laughs> okay. Can you tell that this is a kid's game? <laughs> this is awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Carl, pick a number between one and four. I'll pick one. One. Okay. Would you rather chew gum from under under a movie theater seat or eat half a hamburger that you got out of the trash at McDonald's? Oh, <laughs> oh neither. Oh. This one actually seems easy. This one seems yeah, pretty easy to me, I, to be honest. I, um, I would not pick the gum that's been chewed because somebody's had that in their mouth for ages. I, yes, exactly. So not that one. Yeah, and that seed is dirty. The hamburger might be fine. You know, like my, my kids, they do this all the time. You know, they eat like half a hamburger and well, I usually eat the other half, so it doesn't go in the garbage. But I could foresee <laughs> how somebody would not eat the other half and would just throw it away. And I assume it would be in a bag. So it's not like you're getting like, you know, everybody's milkshake mixed in. Jason, anyway. I'm going to need you to send me those questions because those are going to be part of the interview puzzle <laughs> for Skyline's interview process. <laughs> yeah, so it's this game. It's from uh, Zomb, Zomondo. Wow, I can't even Zob Zobmondo. And it's called You Gotta Be Kidding. Um, and it's we're going to implement that as part of our process for sure. Yeah, so on the front, it says, makes you think, makes you laugh. And it says, uh, kids, it's for kids, uh, ages seven and pl- seven up, seven and up. I'm going to need that. (laughs) Yeah. We just like asking. We think it's funny. It's good. So anyway, Lindsay, if people want more information about you or Skyline, where can they go? Connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, You can find me under Lindsay Garrity in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, My Twitter handle is at Gerlaw21, G-A-R-R-L-A-2-1. I'm I'm diving deeper into the Twitter um, day by day. So don't 
don't judge me <laughs> um, and utilizing that. Um, but you can also find me probably not on Facebook. I'm on lockdown. Okay. And let's see here, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at wpdevguy.com or at Twitter on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay. And you can find me at ytechie.com or at Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on and answering our questions. This was really great. Absolutely. And if anybody ever wants the chance to network and learn more about the recruiting or interview process, I'm always happy to help. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 